Hi, I'm Stuart Barry. Thank you for joining us at The Thinking Traveller, a series that draws upon the passions, expertise and knowledge of Academy Travel's tour leaders, one topic at a time. There has never been a better time to visit Pompeii. Much of the site, which for many years was closed to the public, is now accessible. Further, some of the impressive finds from recent excavations can be viewed in situ and in the newly reopened museum on site and exhibition areas. Joining us today is Dr Estelle Laser. Estelle is an archaeologist with an international reputation for work on the human victims of Pompeii, with more field sessions in the Bay of Naples than she cares to remember. Her PhD studied the site's human skeletons and her current project is to CT scan and X-ray the unique cast of these victims. Estelle's book, Resurrecting Pompeii, was published by Routledge and she's an Honorary Research Associate in the Department of Classics and Ancient History at the University of Sydney. Welcome, Estelle. There seems to be so many new discoveries in Pompeii. After so many years of excavation, it seems that there would be nothing left to find. How much of the site has been excavated to date? The site's been excavated since 1748 officially. And within the walls, there's 66 hectares. And of that, up until 2018, about 49 had been excavated. So there's still about a third to come out of the ground within the walls. But we know that the site was occupied beyond the walls, especially after it became a Roman colony after 80 BC. So There is so much to find. Also, the site management strategy has been just to dig down to the AD 79 level. We know there's about seven to 800 years of occupation below that. So we're never going to run out of things to find in Pompeii. What is the Great Pompeii Project and what have the results been so far? I just need to give you a little background that leads up to the Great Pompeii Project. I mean, Pompeii is just a huge site. It's one of the best-known sites in the world. In 2019, there were nearly 4 million visitors to the site. And the way it's been managed over time has varied and had a big impact on how it's looked after. It constantly needs to be managed. In the mid-90s, there was a superintendent who decided to put a moratorium on new large-scale excavations, only small ones could be carried out, and his uh, thinking was that it was very important to try and maintain what was there, to remediate what was suffering from being exposed to the sun, to the rain, to tourists, to our wildlife. And the Minister for Culture, for some reason, didn't like him. And um, they declared for various reasons a state of emergency. And a commissioner took over the site and basically wasn't an archaeologist and did many for-profit things and didn't pour money into the site. In 2010, in November, it came back to bite him. And this is because there was a superintendent at the beginning of the 20th century who wanted to expose the main drag of Pompeii, the so-called Street of Abundance, where there was a lot of industrial activity, there were shops, there were fine houses, and it's very expensive and slow to dig whole houses. So one side of the street was fully excavated, the other side just the facades. And that's a real problem because the unexcavated earth was putting a lot of pressure on those buildings and they were using terraces and buttresses to hold them up. But there hadn't been much maintenance because of state of emergency and there was 
abnormal rainfall in November 2010 and that extra weight of water in the soil plus some bad reconstructions caused a series of collapses. One building exploded across the road. UNESCO came and visited the site. They were horrified. And UNESCO made an ultimatum that if the site weren't remediated and well by the end of 2015, they would revoke its World Heritage status and declare it a site in danger, which is rather more than a slap on the wrist. It was quite a big deal for one of the most important archaeological sites in the world. And that's how the Great Pompeii Project was born. The European Union and the Italian government put aside 105 million euros for this project. What they wanted them to do was to deal with the drainage problems, to deal with the fact that where the site wasn't excavated, um, when it rained, water would cascade from the higher levels of unexcavated ground into the site, where the margins of the unexcavated areas could crumble and damage the site. They wanted the buildings to be restored and maintained so that they didn't collapse. They wanted the wall paintings to be restored and made sure they don't fall off the walls. And best practice again for that and for um, keeping the mosaics in the ground. They also asked for disabled access. So wheelchair access in some parts of the site. If you've ever visited Pompeii, you'd know that it's extremely uneven and so there are only some areas where you can get a wheelchair to travel across the site. They wanted new research to be done and that to be shared at an academic and popular level. So they employed a huge collection of architects, archaeologists, a range of disciplines A lot of houses that had not been open to the public, the site was largely closed off. And people who'd visit the site, especially large cruise ships, some of the cruise ships can hold up to 5,000 people. So they'd have these hordes of people visiting the site with one itinerary and putting huge pressure on the few houses that were open to the public. So the Director General restored and opened a number of houses on the site, which dispersed visitors across the site and which made for a much more enjoyable experience for visitors because they could see more. And they started new excavations. How important are these excavations to the Great Pompeii Project? Is there new information we're providing and how easy is it to gain access to information about this new work? So I'll start with the last bit of the question. So one of the requirements of the Great Pompeii Project is that information is made available at a popular and academic level. So that's really important. And this has been quite remarkable because in the past, finding out what was going on in excavations was nearly impossible. Publication took forever. You never saw anything. You never found out anything. What's happened now is, and this is part of the joy of social media, On a day-by-day basis, you can see what's happening through Twitter and Instagram. The official Pompeii Archaeological Park website has information. They have an e-journal, so academic work gets published very, very quickly. And they're making the new finds available to be seen. So that's quite remarkable. It's important for the project, and it is controversial, as the previous director of the site said to me, every decision you make has consequences. So when you open up new areas, they need to be maintained. Everything that's covered 
with volcanic debris is preserved perfectly and it's quite safe. Once you expose it to the sun, the air, the elements generally, tourists and wildlife, you have to look after it and that's a cost. The argument is that the edges of the unexcavated areas are crumbling and they're putting the excavated areas at risk and there's also this major drainage problem. And what they're finding is amazing because there's this incredible buried city under the ground. So there've been two periods of major excavation to date. First of all, in 2018, they entered the moratorium on new excavations and they excavated an area to the north of the site in so-called Region 5 and that was a 1,000 square metre wedge. And they found amazing things. So they found a skeleton that had looked like it had been taken out by giant lintel. At first when they reported it, they thought that it had been decapitated. It was a very mature male with some damage, you know, an old injury to a leg and they thought they hadn't been able to escape and this huge stone lintel had taken them out. But when when they excavated further, they discovered an old tunnel probably by Lutus in the 18th century and the top half of the skeleton had dropped down. So this person had been killed by the pyroclastic surge probably. They found that this person had a leather pouch and in it were 22 coins, 20 silver ones, two bronze ones. They were worth an equivalent amount to keep a family of three for a couple of weeks and they dated from the Republican period right up to Vespasian, the emperor who died the year of the eruption in 79 CE. They found fabulous war paintings, which can be seen by the public. So one of Leda and the Swan, and another one of Narcissus. Is this the area where they found the horses last year? It was very publicised. Um, we'll come to the horses. Oh, sorry, so, sorry. <laughs> so the horses were not found there. They were actually found 700 metres away from the site, but I'll come to those. Okay. They've also been excavating since March in 2023, and it's an even more ambitious excavation. This area's so-called Region 9. It's in the middle of the site. They're excavating a whole block. And so far, they've made a number of finds. They've found a few new skeletons two of which were discovered in May, and they're older males. They've also discovered a wall painting with a still life, really beautiful one, which has a silver plate, and on it there's a silver chalice with what appears to be wine in it, and a flat bread which seems to have condiments on it, and it's possible to recognise dates, pomegranates and nuts. So there's things coming out of the ground all the time. It's not just Pompeii itself, is it? Because the whole region was destroyed by the Mount Vesuvius eruption. So um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the other projects going on in the area? It's true. The whole of the Bay of Naples was affected by the eruption. Pompeii gets the most press because it's, it's the best-known site. There wasn't any occupation on the site after the eruption. And it's been possible to expose nearly all of it. So we have all aspects of life, you know, public and private, which is why it has so much emphasis focused on it. There are excavations going on everywhere. There are excavations in Stabia, in Herculaneum, just close to the area, even in Pompeii. There are excavations that aren't related to the Great Pompeii Project. And this is one of the wonderful things about 
working in the Vesuvian region, they do allow foreign scholars like myself to work there. So there's been projects like a tomb excavated a few years ago that revealed a hermetically sealed grave with a very well-preserved skeleton with soft tissue, including an ear and hair preserved. And outside Pompeii, where you're asking this, the remains of a villa. So this villa was known It's called Civita Giuliana, and it was known but wasn't excavated. It was discovered, I think, in 2017 that there were looters tunnelling into it. So the Carabinieri, with the assistance of the fire brigade, came in to try and deal with the looters. And while they were doing that work, they discovered amazing things, and there have been incredible excavations since then. So they discovered stables with three horses, one of which could be cast, and it's an exceptionally large horse for the period. It's like 150 centimetres up to the withers. In the cast, you can see the form of the ears. It does seem to be a horse, not a mule. And they found a ceremonial chariot, which has these amazing, it's made of wood and bronze and iron and has these tin medallions with little erotic scenes on them. So they think it might have been used for processions or weddings. They also found two victims that have been cast and uh, a room that appears to have been a slave room. So they had three beds, two adult size, one child size. They were able to cast the organic remains, so it seems like the mattresses were just crisscross ropes with, you know, just a blanket over them. They found various vessels, including chamber pot, and they found some of the horse trappings that would have been used in the stables. I was just amazed. So looting is still a modern-day problem. It's a huge problem. There's looting all the time. So there's a special branch of the police, of the Carabinieri, that just deals with looters and repatriating artefacts that have made their way out of Italy and getting them back. If they hadn't found the looters tunnelling into this villa, they would, what, never have found the villa? Or they wouldn't have bothered excavating it? That's correct. They wouldn't have bothered excavating it. And the reason for that is they did know the villa was there, to answer your question. And I'm sure they wouldn't have excavated it because, as I said, every excavation means that you have to maintain it and look after it. And do you open it to the public? Now, that villa is not yet open to the public, but the excavations continue. The looters' tunnels did do some damage, so they needed to remediate that. And while they're doing it, they've been making these incredible discoveries. So the looters have, in fact, pushed this excavation to occur and it's been amazing. Obviously all the work inside the Pompeii, the Greater Pompeii Project, that's paid for by the Italian government. But this one, this villa that the looters sort of force them to start digging, who pays for that excavation? Actually, it's a really good question. It's not part of the Great Pompeii Project. Pompeii Archaeological Park is an autonomous museum and it's associated with the Ministry of Culture. And they do get funding. And this archaeological park doesn't just cover Pompeii. It covers the region around it, which would include this site, which is 700 metres northwest of the site of the walls. It also includes a working farm at Boscoreale, about a kilometre away from Pompeii. Fabulous villas in Aplontus, really magnificent ones, and the site at Stalbia to the south. So I'd say they have federal funding for that. You sort of hinted earlier on about excavations restarted again 2022 or 2023. 
Obviously, COVID must have impacted phenomenally the whole Greater Pompeii project. Can you just explain how did it affect the ongoing work and also the visitors to the site? The visitors to the site, they stopped. And I think we both know about that because um, <laughs> we actually had a tour in the Bay of Naples when Italy went into hard lockdown and all museums and archaeological sites closed. It's seared in my memory, March the 8th, 2020, and we had to evacuate everyone. So no one could visit the sites during the hard lockdown. This actually provided an amazing opportunity. So even though there was a hard lockdown, because Pompeii is a huge open air site and people could socially isolate Work actually did continue when it was possible. They did a huge amount of restoration work. And they also, throughout the period of COVID, did quite a bit of excavation. They did a lot of work in the uh, the Civita Giuliana Villa. And they also continued the excavations in the northern part of the site in Region 5. And one of the amazing finds, and this can be visited is the Mapolium, basically a fast food bar. And it's quite, it's superb. It's like, because when you newly excavate something, all the colours of painted walls and features are so vibrant. So this has a counter and it's bright yellow and it has these incredible wall paintings on it. There's a Nereid on a hippocamp, a half horse, half fish. There's actually a painting of a fast food joint, so you can see people serving food. There's a couple of mallard ducks hanging upside down and a rooster and a dog that's chained up. And there's a little bit of graffiti. I try and make it polite. Somebody's carved into it, Nikias, shameless defecator, but that's not the word. So obviously having a dig at someone. Uh, so there's graffiti everywhere in Pompeii. That's not really a surprise. We have this beautifully preserved fast food bar with all the vessels and their contents preserved. And one of the great things about these new excavations that I think in part really justifies them is that they're being done in the most multidisciplinary way. So they've got volcanologists, geologists, archaeobotanists, archaeozoologists, um, physical anthropologists. They've got a whole range of people working, uh, architects, engineers working on this. And what they've found is the contents of the fast food bar vessels, what they were eating. So they're mallard ducks hanging up waiting to be cooked And they actually found duck bone there. They found pig bones, fish bones, goat bones, land snails. And they found one vessel with crushed beans at the bottom. And this would have held wine. They used the beans to bleach the wine and add flavour to it. Maybe not a flavour we'd like today, but one that they liked in 79 CE. And when they were excavating it, they said they could actually smell the wine. So quite fabulous. So it's been a spectacular find. They found a dog there, not like the dog on the painting that's chained up looking like a guard dog, but this is a little dog about 25 centimetres high, which shows that they were breeding selectively to get little dogs. I dare ask if it's a fast food outlet painted in yellow could have possibly been the first McDonald's store. Sorry. It, it, it's, um, you, you can see the relationship. There does seem to be a cultural continuum there, but I think it's um, definitely coincidence. <laughs> Recently, there was also the story about a pizza being discovered in Pompeii. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes, so that was um, a discovery made uh, in the 2023 excavation, so just reported in June. They found, uh, I've, I've described it before, this flatbread. Flatbread's something that you find all across the Mediterranean. I mean, it's been reported as maybe the first pizza, but we find evidence of flatbreads as far as 14,500 years ago. What's now modern-day Jordan in the Black Desert, they found charred remains of flatbread. We know the Persians were making flatbread on their shields in 500 BCE and they were putting cheese and dates on top. So I think this is just part of the normal food that they were having at the time. It is, yes, flatbread, something that's been consumed throughout time in the Mediterranean. To go back, you did also ask about what happened to the visitors during the COVID period. Of course, during the hard lockdowns, there were no visitors. And then in between lockdowns, they had a number of different ways of dealing with visitors. In the first periods, you know, when there was no vaccination or anything, everyone had to wear masks. They had hand sanitizer everywhere. You had to pre-book your visits and there were timed visits and staggered visits. So only a certain number of visitors could go into the site from various entrances at 15-minute intervals till there was a cap. There was a cap on how many people could be on the site at once. There actually was an app you could download that showed you in real time where everyone else was on the site so you could avoid them. And then As vaccines were introduced, you had to show a green card that you'd been vaccinated. People who hadn't had to do COVID testing, they had their temperatures taken and they had to wear masks and wash their hands. So they were very careful about access and the way you could move across the site was controlled. And even now, there's still some controls about how you can move across the site, though it's mostly open now. So that leads to the question, what is the status of the park now, of the site? What management practices have they continued on to try and preserve the site? Right. Well, they're doing some really innovative things now. So they've introduced a dog robot called, not surprisingly, Spot, (laughs) um, who is very cute. It's an autonomous robot, so it can walk around. It doesn't really have a head. It's got a 360-degree camera, but it can move across the uneven ground of the site. It can explore areas that might be dangerous. It can get into small spaces and photograph them and scan them so that decisions can be made about site management. It can also find illegal tunnels. So it has great potential for protecting the site and for for making it much safer for the site to be visited and worked on. It has accompanying it a drone with 3D scanning potential, so they work in tandem. And then they're doing other things on site that are quite lovely. They're trying to be environmentally sound. They've introduced a flock of sheep (laughs) experimentally so that keeping the green spaces is really important. And keeping sheep on the site means they don't need to have people using machinery. They eat the grass and they fertilise the area and the grass... Being there holds the site together and that again protects the edges of the site from crumbling where it's not excavated and they're kind of cute, they have little bells. They've also got a project to increase the green space around the site. Pompeii, unlike a lot of the other sites, does have a lot of green areas. They discovered that there were within the walls and that was a surprise because you'd expect this to be outside the walls. There were orchards, gardens and vineyards and they're replanting those. They cast the roots 
So the organic material survives. They pour plaster of Paris or cement in and they can actually cast the roots of plants and they can identify them to species. So they've replanted the same species of grapes in vineyards and they're growing fruit in the orchards and they're pairing with various institutions to manage the green spaces. They've got a project with disabled children to actually work on the agriculture on the site, and this is a way of engaging the community, the broader community, into the management of the archaeological park. Wow. You mentioned you were there in March 2020. Was it 8th of March? <laughs> it the, was. The date you were there. <laughs> When's the next trip? When are you going back again? I'll be back there in November working on the site. So we've got our project to X-ray and CT scan all the casts on the site. We have a memorandum of agreement with the Pompeii Archaeological Park and it sort of fits in nicely with the Great Pompeii Project. We really started this project when they were restoring the casts. So we sit nicely into their remit and we're producing new information which we're, of course, sharing. At a popular level, we've done four documentaries now, I think, with various companies. So for the BBC, the Smithsonian Channel, Arte, National Geographic, amongst others, and we're producing scientific publications as well. Are you still finding new things about the casts? Yes. (laughs) So how they achieved the casts was never very well documented. We always were led to believe that they just found these holes in the ground when they were digging, poured plaster in, waited for the plaster to dry, chipped the ash around them away, and you have the form of a person as they were when they died. All the bones should be encapsulated within them, and that's what we were interested in initially. What we discovered was that they'd been manipulated heavily, and there's as much art as science in there. And that's a really important discovery because it means we're learning about 19th and 20th century restoration and archaeological practices. I've got a forensic dentist on my team who also is a clinician. He knows a lot about plaster. It's turned out to be an incredibly useful skill. We're actually reading the plaster on the CT scans. You can see the stratigraphy of the plaster as it was poured in. So we can actually reconstruct how the casts were achieved, work out what's original and what's restoration. This is important also because we interpret how the victims died from what the casts look like. So we're learning a huge amount. And they're also very interesting inclusions like jewellery, belt buckles for sandals that they used to attach the lower part of the sandal to the straps and operated as hobnails so that they could move across the ground and have a little traction. So we're finding out quite a number of new things with our new work. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Estelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for joining us at The Thinking Traveller, brought to you by Academy Travel, a leader in small group cultural tours. Visit our website at academytravel.com.au to access blog articles or join our online program of lectures and short courses brought to you by experts around the world.